Thank you, Dave, Ruth, uh, getting used to the family of God. Amen. And it's a good family. You've been, uh, you've been and you are a, a great family uh, for us. And uh, we certainly do appreciate that. This morning, as we uh, uh, continue, uh, I want to uh, look at the idea and uh, share with you what would Jesus say uh, to an atheist and uh, share with you some information here and as well uh, I've got uh, the notes that I'm going to be using and some questions uh, uh, for the most part on the back here that uh, uh, you'll understand that uh, as the song says as we together by and by right uh, uh, later in the message but if you want a copy of the notes they're up here for that I also have a commercial message for for a movie, uh, The Case for Christ. And uh, I watched uh, through this uh, a few different times. And uh, so this I recommend. This was uh, Rick and Judy's copy. And it's also right now on uh, uh, Netflix, if you got Netflix, so, uh, uh, to tune in there. And uh, basically the same kind of ideas and some, uh, uh, some information uh, from that movie and from that book by Lee Strobel uh, that I want to use this morning. Uh, so uh, I'm going to read, we're going to look at this, the 19th Psalm again, the first six verses, and then we'll go through it. And there's some other verses that we'll pick up later. But Psalm chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The sun, or it, rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We give you praise for, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, for the fact that you are and uh, Lord, as we look at this uh, uh, and use this message that you've uh, uh, encouraged uh, to give, Lord, as a tool in, uh, in our meeting with those who do not believe in you. And so, Lord, uh, open our hearts and open our minds. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at a couple of different, this is uh, uh, our third, I believe, in our, our little series. And uh, we talked about uh, what would Jesus say to a Wiccan? And I forgot what the first one was. Uh, Muslim, okay. The next one is gonna be in a, in a few weeks as we say, what, what would Jesus say to a, to a homosexual? And this is a very hot topic uh, in our society today. Uh, so that'll be in a few weeks and we'll, uh, we'll pick this up. Ravi Zacharias 
a Christian writer. He tells a story, and I've heard this before uh, from others, uh, about one-time heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali. And uh, uh, he relates a story, and he says that Ali was flying to one of his engagements, and during the flight, the aircraft that he was on ran into foul weather. And the passengers on the plane were instructed to fasten their seat belts immediately, and all of them complied but Ali. So the flight attendant saw this and walked over to him and, and approached him and requested that he buckle his seat belt, only to hear him audaciously as he was famous in doing, he responded, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And then the flight attendant come right back and quickly replied, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, some people today have assumed that they don't need the seatbelt of scripture to navigate through life's turbulence and the problems that we all face in life. And as we come to this topic today, I think that it's important to point out that there are many good minds. I can just put this back a little bit here, uh, uh, Larry. There's many good minds coming at this from many different perspectives. And uh, we should not make the mistake of thinking that really smart people are atheists. We need, to get, we need to get that out of our heads. That they're an atheist, that means they're smart. You know, uh, and I read this week that one of the uh, uh, proponents of, of atheism uh, is arguing for a different word because the word atheist carries with it a lot of baggage. You know, people have these preconceived ideas of, of what, they, what, they, what an atheist is like and braggadocia and all of this forward thinking. And so he, he has, he, his uh, idea is to call atheists uh, bright. So that's kind of to assume that if the atheist is bright, everybody else is a little dim, right? But uh, I, I have to admit that there are some bright people who are deeply committed to Christ, right? And a true atheist actively denies the existence of God. And from Time Magazine's cover story in 1966, asked the question, is God dead? all the way to some oddballs like Madeline Murray O'Hare. Okay, we'll point this down. All right. And Madeline Murray O'Hare was easy, she was easy to dismiss all of her quirky ideas and her uh, things that she came up with. But she was, she was very vocal in removing prayer from schools, if I remember right. Uh, because up until third grade, we were we were reciting the Lord's Prayer and doing this, the Pledge of Allegiance uh, every day in school. And then all of a sudden in 1963, when I was in third grade, no, can't do that anymore. It's against the law. And now, this week in the news, there was an entire city 
refuses to say the, uh, the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. And one of the reasons is one nation under God. And uh, so everybody in this city has signed a petition not to, not to say it. But I remember going to uh, help somebody in, uh, in a court uh, downtown here in Canton years ago. I think there was a Judge Belden uh, was his name. And uh, Judge Belden had everybody stand, even this in the back part, you know, put your hand on your heart and repeat and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Well, we didn't say it loud enough, so we had to say it again the second time to his liking before he would sit down and, and, uh, and have us sit down. So uh, there, there are people like that. Um, today, the playing field has changed. And uh, we have the advent of some really intelligent scientific atheists. Uh, and I'll put the scientific in, in parentheses, who strike me as angry. These scientific atheists come at it with an angry disposition, they're, and they're abrasive. And the, the Lilly Foundation uh, endowment, they, they funded a survey by Trinity College that revealed that 15% of Americans now cite no religion when asked for their religious preference. And I would say that this is probably lowball. It's probably higher than that. And, uh, uh, you know, to say that you have no religion is not the same as being an atheist. Uh, but you could make a strong case that more and more people are opting out of belief in God. So my first point is, God just is. Capital I, capital S. God just is. And interestingly enough, uh, because we believe in a, or we live in a scientific culture, uh, someone with a white coat, and he's a scientist, and he has a, a degree in this and that after his name, uh, that people stand up and they'll listen to whatever foolishness comes out of their mouth. And uh, there are television uh, networks and stations that'll back everything that a, that a guy in a white coat says. And I, I'd like to say that they're not really qualified to make philosophical and, and religious assertions. And even the brightest physicist, Stephen Hawking, God rest his soul, uh, in his book, The Grand Design, and he didn't want this book to come out until after he passed away, but he seems to go out of his way to argue that the laws of physics show that there's no need for a supreme being. But then he makes a god out of gravity in an effort to argue that the universe can and will create itself from nothing. I, I don't, this is just kind of an opposite thing to me. I don't know, I mean, I'm not bright. I'm kind of dim, remember? So, so I'm trying to go along here. And so there are many ways to approach this topic and this subject about uh, uh, relating to and talking to, uh, talking to an atheist. And, and uh, this uh, movie, The Case for Christ, is the true story of Lee Strobel. Uh, you're, you probably all know that, the book that came out. And, uh, I got to pick up some of the arguments out of that I want to share. But one of the... Uh, 
uh, one of the doctors that uh, Lee Strobel talked to in the movie and in the book was William Lane Craig. And his arguments uh, for the existence of God uh, are very good. He says that God exists on, because of the cosmological argument. The universe came from something rather than nothing. If you sit down and say, well, the Big Bang, well, where did the, where did the Big Bang come from? Where, where did that matter start, start at? Well, it just was. Well, that takes more faith to believe that than it does in the fact that God spoke everything to existence. There's the teleological argument, uh, which is the complexity in the universe presents the case for an intelligent designer. In other words, you've got all of these planets and solar systems, and they're not crashing into each other. They have orbits that they're set in. This talks about an intelligent designer. There's the, uh, uh, the, the moral argument. True morality comes from God. If there was no God in the first place, we wouldn't have any morals at all. I mean, some people you know are probably like that, but, but we wouldn't know right from wrong. There wouldn't be a right from wrong. And then there's the resurrection of Jesus, which this movie goes into uh, depth about the evidence for, of the resurrection has never been refuted. And finally, the immediate experience of God. Experience as evidence for God. My life has changed. And those of us who, who are Christians or are believers, we're not the same as we were before. I'm not the same person that I was before. I was saved. That change, that experience in each of our hearts, that, that talks about the existence of God. Okay? So uh, these arguments don't, I don't want to scare you. I'm not going to flesh these out. This is a whole series of sermons in itself. And we're not going to go there. We're going to look at the Word, uh, the Word of God. And if we start from the beginning, Genesis gets its name from the Hebrew. It's the book of beginnings. In the beginning, God. Now, if you're Greek, and I don't see any Greeks here with us this morning, but if you're Greek, uh, the, you talk about birth and beginning of your life is genesis, uh, the, the word, genesis. Uh, and a family, the beginning, yenesu, is the family. So everything in, from the beginning in this first, how many words? One, two, three, four words. The very first four words of the Bible is a declaration that, what does it say? God has always been. He has had no beginning. And he will have no end. Amen? So this is a simple declaration of the existence of God and does not provide an explanation for his existence, right? This, we've start out. In the beginning, God. God started things. Where did God come from? I don't know. But when we get to heaven, we can ask him. Right? The Bible just assumes that he is. God is. He is eternal. He's here today. He was here yesterday. He'll be here tomorrow. He was. He is. He always will be. Praise the Lord. And when we look at these this, these words, I'm going to go through some points pretty quickly, but uh, 
uh, don't be a fool. And it's pretty bad to be called a fool by someone. And it's even worse to be called a fool by God. In uh, Psalm 19, or Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Just that first part of that, of that verse, Psalm 14, 1. And the, the word for fool here in the Hebrew is also used uh, as a person who is as stubborn as an animal. And uh, this kind of fool doesn't, doesn't have a mental problem, but there's no mental problem in his head, in other words. The problem is in his heart. You know, in, in our hearts, in the head, it, it, he's don't be a fool. You know, and uh, notice, who does he talk to? Uh, the fool, what, says in his heart, there is no God. He's not talking to anybody else. He's not talking to anybody else in this verse of scripture. And in he's talking to himself. So instead of uh, proclaiming his atheism publicly, he privately lives as if there is no God. And I wonder how many of us do the same thing. We publicly proclaim that we're following Christ. But if someone were to follow you around all day and they've got a little book and a, and a pen and they record everything you say and they monitor every way we think and they, they note how many times we pray or they look at how much we give, they, we, how much unforgiveness is measured in your heart, would they at the end of the day preclude or conclude that, that you're a Christian? That's a, that's a challenge. And uh, are we essentially doing what we want and, but still living as if God does not exist? And in that sense, we would become then a, what is called a practical atheist. We would be a practical atheist when we live like that. Now, the second part of this verse, you can see up there, they are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Uh, the second part of the verse helps us see that beliefs, what we believe, believe leads to behavior. If people persist in believing that there's no God, they will act accordingly. Our, once God is removed from the picture, from our heads and our hearts, then there will be consequences in our character. They are corrupt, the word says. And in our conduct, their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Now, the, the word for vile is used, same word, used in different parts, other parts of the Old Testament, for rotten, putrid, and decayed. That sounds like a... a do you know anybody like that? I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to name names, but... Uh, you know, some people are, are really bad. So the implications of atheism are crucial because everything crumbles with God out of the picture. You take God out of the picture and your whole life falls apart. There's, there's then no basis for morality, no purpose in pain, no reason for existence, no hope for the future when you pull God out of the equation. Live
live your life the way you want to live it. That's is my choices. But oh my goodness, are you headed? Are you headed for uh, for problems? And then creation cries out. And there's a so, some references that I want to make. The Bible makes it clear that there's there's proof it, that God exists everywhere. Everywhere, all you got to do is open up your eyes and look around. And we don't have to look far to see him because he's displayed in all of creation. Going back to, uh, to uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. God is everywhere. He left his fingerprints all over creation. The earth is marked with a sign that declares in bold letters, made by God. He's revealed himself also in his word. Verse 7 of, of, uh, of Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You see, God has not only revealed himself in a general sense through the creation of the world, he's also made known his will and his character through his word. We, when we open up his word, we, we see the will and the character of the one who made us. Well, I wonder what God thinks about this. Read it. You know, look it up. Open it up. What's God's will? What does God want me to do? Open up God's word. Because the Bible is bursting with direct statements from God about God. This is a, your Bible that you hold in your lap or it's on your phone or however you use uh, the word. It just, it's direct statements about him and they're also from him. He wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be in the dark. He wants us to know all about him. So when this happens, our response should be worship, right? And the last verse of that chapter, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, uh, the, the King James, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Praise the Lord. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, that's the inside of me. That's what we can be in that kind of a relationship with our maker, our God, that he knows inside of us and the words that come out of our mouth. And for all of that to be acceptable in his sight, to be pleasing in his sight. So the next step would be that the evidence for God's existence is evident. If, if God is everywhere, God has made all things, you're even made by God. You're made in God's image. Where do we go? Romans chapter 1. Three different places, and I'm only going to pick on one of those places in this chapter. This first chapter of Romans answers a lot of questions when you really dig down into it. But I'm only going to hit one of three this morning to save you a little bit of time. Uh, but... Uh, the first part of this is God expresses his wrath 
toward those who suppress the truth. The truth is real, but they, they push it down. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Oh, man. Psalm 73 is another great one. Why does it look like the wicked prosper, David asks, until I saw, I went to the sanctuary and saw their end. And people think, well, you know, I'm living a pretty good life here without God. Everything's going along pretty good. Don't fool yourself. Because these few brief years that we live here on this earth are nothing compared to eternity. And people say, well, if you're just nice and if you're just a good person, you're going to look down from, a from above. I disagree. I'll say it right now. I disagree. We tend to reject the doctrine of God's wrath. We don't want to be Debbie Downer or give you the bad news. Remember those days when hell was preached about so much that you felt the flames there in the pew. Your seat got a little hot and made you move to the altar, right? We don't preach that way anymore. We're afraid to offend. The word suppress means to hold down. Suppress the truth. Hold down the truth. To deny God's existence is exhausting. And it's ultimately futile because it's impossible to suppress. You can't hold down God's truth. It'll, it'll come up. You can keep pushing that thing down there, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep rising up. This is, a, this is point A under the sub-point under the point, I guess. The, the second part is God has clearly revealed himself. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. I mean, Romans 1.19. God has made it plain to everybody. Abraham Lincoln once said, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there's no God. You see, we have no excuse to not believe. Romans 1.20, the very next verse, the evidence for God's creative power is clearly evident. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and kind of a parenthesis here, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. There's no excuse. We refuse, we suppress, right? By doing wickedness, according to this, this verse that we read from uh, uh, Psalm 19, uh, we, we want to suppress the truth. We want to push it down. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, uh, he makes this statement, he says, uh, the real challenge is not to prove that God exists, but to recognize that people already suspect that God exists. He's revealed himself in nature, and we know about him by nature. And because he is the creator, 
he is greater than that which he has created. It's not that people can't know God. It's that some don't want God. So, reaching atheists. And uh, uh, point five here. Uh, the first one, uh, this is what we've said all along about Muslims, about Wiccans. Okay, love them. Love them. Before speaking to an atheist, make sure your heart's filled with love. God loves this person. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that person is part of the all. You're going to hear this again about homosexuals, right? And then the next one, ask questions. An atheist is going to ask you questions. Ask him some questions in return. You know, most atheists hold to their beliefs for a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason that they're going to hold on to their belief as an atheist. Atheist. I don't believe in God because. So there, there are some basic questions, and then there are some, some extra questions. I have most of them on this list here. What do you mean by that? An atheist approaches you, makes a statement to you, try to rattle you. I don't believe in God. What do you mean by that? You know, when you ask that question, that makes them define the terms of their argument. Why do you feel that way? How do you know that to be true? You can ask. Is that one up there? Yeah. And this makes them explain the logic. How do you know that to be true to an atheist? Oh, no, I want an answer. They're going to push you for an answer. How do you know not to be? Don't ask me the same question back. I want you to answer my question. And what difference does it make? And this makes them define the value of their argument. You're, the way you feel, what, what difference does that make? What if you're wrong? This is a big one. What if you're wrong? You know, this makes them think the unthinkable. Well, I'm not going to be wrong. Well, why not? Why, why can't you be wrong? Why do I have to be the one that's wrong? Because I believe in God. Some additional questions. I don't know if I got them. Nope. Um, what do you mean by atheist? What's that mean? Do you mean there's absolutely no God? Do you mean that you don't know personally if there is a God? How do you know that there's no God? How, how do you know? What's your reason? Have you been everywhere in the universe that all this, this happens? What solid evidence can you produce to prove your position? Well, you don't have any proof that God exists. Well, what kind of proof do you have as an atheist? Has it given you a purpose to live for, to be an atheist? What good has it done you? What fulfillment has it brought you? What if you're wrong and the Bible is right? Because if you're right, if you take talking to an atheist, what if you're wrong and the Bible is right? You know, uh, if you're right to an atheist and you're asking this person, I have nothing to worry about, do I? But if you're wrong, what are the consequences if you're wrong? Ask questions back, but not in a confrontational way, in a way that I really want to know. I mean, this is something that means a lot to you, obviously, so 
please let me know why you feel that way. Why you're so, why you're so taken up with being, being an atheist. <clears throat> we need to do, okay, the, the next point is, let me see, uh-oh, lost my point. The next point is know your Bible. And this is really the main application for every one of the, the sermons in this, in this series. But uh, uh, we need to do what legendary coach Vince Lombardi uh, did. He took a team from a small town that won the previous season one game. One game, and at, back in that time, they played 12, 12 games in a season instead of 16. So one and 11. So within three years, he took that one and 11 team to the National Football League Championship and won. And then five years out of seven. So what did he do? What, how, did this, how did this New Yorker go to uh, the dairy land in Wisconsin and take a bunch of misfits, so to speak, and, and turn them into, you know, 11, 11 members of the, those years are in the Hall of Fame. And only Pittsburgh is, is close to that in Chuck Knowles' days. But Vince Lombardi back in the late 50s, the first thing that, that he did was sit everybody down. He says, we're going back to basics. And he picks up a football and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. And he just went from there, start from the basics. You know, brothers and sisters, uh, this is the Bible. This is God's word. Getting back to basics, opening up God's word. You know, the, the team that wins is the team that's, what he says was in this conversation, in this talk, he said that this is a football and we will win if we successfully block and tackle. He didn't say anything about the ball. You beat the guy up to get him out of the way so that the guy with the ball can run past him. You block, right? You move him out of the way. So he had Hall of Famers on the offensive line moving people out and making room for, for, for Jim Taylor and Paul Horning to run that, that end run. They just ran the same thing every time. If you watch the, the late 60s Packers, it's either sweep to the left or sweep to the right. And I, they dared you to get in the way. And that's why all those guys are in the Hall of Fame. But he went back to basics. He didn't talk about we pass good. He didn't talk about not fumbling. He says block, tackle, basics. Open your Bible. Open your Bible. Get back to basics. What do you know? Oz Guinness makes this statement. The idea of a singular truth has become so unpopular that it is widely regarded as dangerous, arrogant, and potentially violent. You have your truth, I have my truth. We're in the middle of a generation of this. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and we're all happy. We're all just, you know, we can live our life as long as you don't step on my toes. No, there is a singular truth. God's word. We are made in his image. The biblical view of truth has become obscene to modern minds and is taken by many to be exclusive, intolerant, and divisive. Going back to, I don't have it up here this week, 
but that coexist bumper sticker is still garbage. Because people, they don't want to believe that. They want to believe that we can all get together and drink a Coca-Cola and grab hands in a circle and sing Kumbaya with a Muslim, with an atheist, with a Christian, right? A Wiccan and everybody. No, because the Christian is the one that's, that gets picked on. An atheist once said, if there's a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right now. Nothing happened. And he said, you see, there's no God. To which his friend stood there and said, well, you've only proved that he's a gracious God. So one former atheist, I'll close with this. One former atheist puts it like this. You cannot give up your life to something without letting it take part in your life for more than an hour a week. We need to give everything to him. Put our trust and our faith in God. God is. God is. Right? And we can put our trust in him. And it takes more than an hour a week to worship. It takes more than an hour a week to pray. It takes more than an hour a week to do our thing and then go out. We need to do it every day. And because a world is watching. A world is watching. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you this morning. We give you praise that you are God. We thank you, Lord, that you give us truth. And in your truth is hope and is life. So, Lord, help each one of us to, to, to know what you have to say. And that's our challenge today, Lord, to, to, to live by the word because you set the example. When you were tempted by the devil, you used your words back to him. He tried to use your words against you, but you spoke your words and quoted from the Old Testament back to the devil when you were tempted. So we can ask questions in a loving way to get them, <coughs> get those that don't believe in you to, to be more specific instead of just a general term. Instead of thinking, hey, it's neat to be an atheist, but why do they believe that way? When they need to know you. Because we still believe that there's something deep within each person. Your word tells us in Ecclesiastes that there is a vacuum that's, that's not being filled. And Lord, we, we know that each person deep down, deep down, search, look deep enough, you'll know that there is right from wrong. There is truth from heresy. We love you and pray for this week. We ask, Lord, that you would be with each one that's here and guide and direct us in Jesus' name. And everybody said...